Hi, this is Pastor Steve Lance from Noble Assembly of God. Thank you for tuning in today. I pray that this message from God's Word will bless and enrich your life. you're glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm going to turn to two scriptures this morning for the message. The title of the message this morning is for such a time as this. I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. And then I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament to Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. So Ephesians 2.10 Esther 4.14 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. Everybody say good things. We can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He created us to do good things that he planned for us long ago. And then the book of Esther back at the Old Testament Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray, God, that as we Go to uh, this time of preaching and listening, Lord, that your anointing would be upon both the deliverer and upon the hearers. Father God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just do your work in all of our lives. And we just submit this time to you and ask for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In truth, we as believers, how many believers we got here today? We as believers are all God's masterpiece. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. God designed you, built you, made you, created you in his perfect idea of your life. You are a masterpiece. We're all masterpieces and we were all born for such a time as this. We are all put on this earth at this time in history for this hour. Esther and Mordecai, whom we will read more about in a moment, were both God's chosen instruments in a crucial time in Israel's history. And you and I, likewise, are God's chosen instruments in another crucial time of history. What do we mean by that? Well, I believe that a couple of things. Number one, I think we are at a time when America's future is being threatened. Would you not agree with that? We are living in crucial days 
of the United States of America. And then secondly, and even more important, this crucial time is a time just preceding the coming of the Lord. I firmly believe that we are living in the last days and that we need to be prepared for what God has for us and we need to prepare others for what God has for them. How many of you know God's not willing that any should perish but all come to eternal life and God uh, has a plan for us to reach around the world with his love. And so uh, it's a crucial time in which we live because America's future, and then it's a crucial time because certainly the coming of the Lord is right on the horizon, I believe. The book of Esther was given to us by the Lord to show us how God protected and delivered the Jewish people from destruction. And the nation of Israel is God's illustration. I believe he's got, the nation of Israel is God's illustrated message to a world of his faithfulness to his word and of God's faithfulness to his covenants that he has made. So Israel is like God's illustration to the entire world of how he works and deals with people, how he's faithful to them even when maybe they aren't faithful, how he keeps his covenants to them, and God will continue to do that. And most of all, we're thankful for the new covenant of God's grace, the new covenant of God's mercy, which certainly God is going to keep that, and we are thankful for that. Um, and so when a wicked and an evil regime led by Haman threatened Israel's existence, God raised up Esther and Mordecai to stop it. And still today, even in our world today, Satan's desire is to destroy Israel just like it was then. And God, Satan's desire is also to destroy those who choose to follow Christ. Satan doesn't like you if you're a believer. He is not in favor of the choice that you made to follow Christ. And he wants to try to knock you down and take you out. But just as God raised up cousins, Mordecai and Esther, he raises up believers today who will defend the faith and who will carry out God's will and God's plan. Can you say amen? God uses ordinary people. Aren't you thankful God uses ordinary people? You don't have to be superhuman. You don't have to be super talented or super good looking or, or super this or that. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God wants to use you. Don't sell yourself short. God can and will use you to push back the darkness and shine for him in a light, as a light in a dark world and shine the light of the love of Jesus. Remember what Philippians 4.13 says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things. We can be confident. Everybody say confident. We can be confident followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can and should be confident followers of Christ. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit and do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? It says in 1 John 3, 8 that he came to destroy the works of darkness, to destroy the works of the devil. And you and I as believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, can do exactly what Jesus did did and destroy the evil that Satan wants to do in many people's lives around us. 
There, though there are many examples in Scripture that we could refer to, I've chosen to look at Esther and Mordecai as we consider characteristics of the confident follower of Jesus Christ. So what are characteristics of the confident follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, number one is a confident follower of Jesus Christ has a deep abiding trust. A deep abiding trust. A deep abiding trust in God and in his plans for your life and for the lives of others. A confident follower has a great trust in God. They know above all that God is in control, that God is going to take care of them, and that God has a plan for their life and for the lives of others. This speaks of purpose. You know, though God never specifically is mentioned in the book of Esther, there's two books of the Bible where God is not mentioned at all. The Song of Solomon and the book of Esther. But throughout the book of Esther, you can see God's handprints all over it. You can see God's sovereignty and the way God directed people and put them in positions to protect Israel in their great time of need. And so we can see that a deep abiding trust is needed in what God displayed, especially in Mordecai. You know, Mordecai had been told and had been given a, an edict by the government of Persia that all of the Jews would be annihilated on a certain day. This was a plan that Haman, who was basically second in charge to King Xerxes, put into action. Inspired by Satan, Haman said, I'm going to annihilate all the Jews. And Mordecai got that word, and he sent word to his Jewish cousin. His Jewish cousin's name was Esther. Recently, Esther had become queen of Persia under King Xerxes. The former queen had been deposed, and he had put out a, a, a call to all the women that uh, would want to be considered as a queen, and, and it's almost like a Cinderella search. He went and found out all these ladies, and Esther was chosen to be queen, and Esther was Jewish, just like her cousin Mordecai. Well, Mordecai tells Esther, because she's in this position, he sends this message to her, and it's found in Esther 4, 13 and 14. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if a perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And I know we read that a moment ago. So he saying to her, God will rescue the Jews some way, somehow. But who knows that God has put you in this place of leadership for just such this hour, for such a time as this. You see, Mordecai, he cared deeply for the lives of his family, for the lives of his friends, for the lives of his fellow Israelites. And, and he had a deep abiding trust that God cared for the Israelites too, that God was in control. And you know, church, we need that same kind of deep and abiding trust in the hour in which we live, a deep abiding trust in the Lord. And we need to genuinely care about those around us and what we can do to help. 
If we have a deep abiding trust in God, we will not fear and we will not be anxious because God is in control. We will pray regularly for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. And we will act. How many of you know prayer is one thing, but we also need to put action to it. Faith without works is dead. And so we will act. We will not sit soak and sour like a sponge that's been soaked and left to sit, but we will pour out our hearts and pour out our lives for good and for the good of others and for the plan and the will of God. So first of all, a deep abiding trust is a, is a characteristic of a confident follower of Jesus Christ. And what's the second one? Another characteristic of the confident follower of Christ is an ever-increasing faith, an ever-increasing faith, an ever-increasing faith to take you over the hurdles and through the valleys of this life. Has anybody ever faced a hurdle in this life? How about a valley? We all have been there. We've all been through valleys. We've ran across obstacles and hurdles, and we need to have an ever-increasing faith. We need to have a faith that's growing. Paul consistently told the church in his letters, I pray as you grow in the Lord, to those growing. We need to be growing. Now, this speaks of power. When we see this displayed in Queen Esther in chapter 4 in verse 15 to 17, after he says to her, Mordecai, who, who knows if you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, she sends this reply to Mordecai. Listen to what she says in Esther 4, 15 through 17. He says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther was displaying some really strong faith there because for her to approach her husband, the king, King Xerxes, without being summoned, could mean what? Could mean death. She couldn't just walk in and say, hey, bud. <laughs> hey, Mr. King. Uh, they had protocol there, serious protocol, that you had to be summoned. Guys, don't try this at home with your wives. It won't work. <laughs> but the queen had to be summoned by the king for some reason. And if she wasn't, if she's to walk in, the only way that her life could be spared was what? If he held out the gold scepter. If he did that, then she could approach and tell him what's on her heart. But if, she, if he didn't, she could immediately be put to death. She had faith in God and knew that prayer and fasting was the key to obtaining God's favor as she walked through this valley and jumped this hurdle for the sake of her people and for even herself. Because if this edict was carried out and all the Jews would be killed, even though she was queen, since she was Jewish, she would die too. And so she had a lot of faith in telling them, hey, you guys don't eat or drink for three days. You pray and fast for me, and that will happen. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the 
Word of God. And, but, and, and you know, Jesus himself, he threw another discipline in there for really difficult situations, and that is the discipline of fasting. We see in Mark chapter 9 where the disciples were confronted with a man whose son was demon-possessed. And they, the, it says that the, the spirit, the demon, would, would throw this young man into the fire, in the water, and try to kill him. And, and so this man brought his son who would foam at the mouth and grind his teeth and, and be seized by this spirit. He brought him to the disciples. Jesus wasn't there at the moment. And, and they tried and they prayed to cast him out, but it wasn't happening. And the, 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 uh, G, when Jesus came on the scene, he took care of the situation. The boy was set free and completely delivered. And later the disciples came to him. It says in Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Why couldn't we deliver? I mean, they had seen people healed. They had seen people saved. They had seen other people set free from demon possession. But why couldn't we do that? And what did Jesus say? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. Some versions don't have the fasting in there. I think that's really, really bad because I think Jesus said by prayer and fasting. There are some things that we have to add fasting to it to get through and to pull down the powers and the principalities that be. And so this demon wasn't happening. He wasn't moving by prayer alone. They had to fast as well. And, you know, even 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, which we refer to a lot in praying for our nation as we should, it talks about fasting. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That humble themselves is fasting. That's how we humble ourselves. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. So one of the best ways to increase your faith is to add fasting to prayer along with reading the word, along with the word of God and praying and fasting. I don't understand the connection between our stomach and between God's spirit moving and miracles happening, but it happens. Jesus said it. You fast and pray, you go without food, you seek me and turn your attention to me and it gets my attention. I don't understand it, but that's what Jesus said. Hurdles are handled by prayer and fasting. If you've got a hurdle in your life right now, if there's something going on with you or your family or your children or on the job or in the community, add prayer and fasting together and see what God will do. Amen? Queen Esther succeeded because of that. In Esther uh, chapter 5 and uh, in verse 1 and 2, we'll see that, that it worked. What happened? Uh, so after she sent uh, Mordecai, the message, go and fast for me. It says in Esther 5, 1 and 2, on the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and he held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter, and then she was able to tell him what was on her heart. A confident follower of Christ increases in their faith by the word of God, 
by prayer and by fasting, by fasting. A third characteristic of the confident follower of Christ is an all-abounding love. An all-abounding love. An all-abounding love for God. An all-abounding love for his word. An all-abounding love for his church. That's his people. I'm not talking about wood and brick. His church is you, the body of Christ. An all-abounding love for God, his word, his church, and his mission. What's God's mission? To win the lost. It's missions. It's to tell people about Christ. It's to see people come to saving faith in their life be changed. You remember when you got saved? How many of you remember when you got saved? How many of you are glad you got saved? Aren't you glad somebody told you? Somebody shared with you? Somebody demonstrated for you and told you about the necessity of Christ in your heart and life? An abounding love, that speaks of passion. We see this displayed in Queen Esther in Esther chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. We see the love that Esther had. It says, Esther 8, 3, Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging with him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman, the Agagite, against the Jews. Again, the king held out the gold scepter to Esther. Well, she, 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 he did that twice. So she rose and stood before him. Esther said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor with him, and if he thinks it's right, and if I am pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, who ordered that Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? We see the love that Esther had for her family and for her people, Willing, willingly whisk, risking her life again to go before the king that this would be stopped. Esther loved God. She loved his people. And that church must be the hallmark of our lives as well, just as it was in the early church. We mentioned this Wednesday night when we were talking about 1 Thessalonians we talked about in the early church, the Bible says they knew they were Christians by their what? Their bumper sticker. That's right. By the cross necklace around their neck. By the fish on their mailbox. No, by their love. They knew they were Christians by their love. A love that even includes your enemies. Jesus said, don't just love your family, your friends, and those that are nice to you. He said, love your enemies. That love comes about in us via the Holy Spirit. You ever notice a person when they get saved, how loving they are? Or a person, especially after they get filled with the Spirit, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they come in, man, they just want to hug everybody, love everybody. There's so much love. That's the Holy Spirit inside of them. The Holy Spirit puts that kind of love in our hearts. 
The more full you are of the Spirit, the more full of love you will be. You believe that's true? Does that also mean the more cranky you are, the less of the Spirit's in you? (laughs) Carol's going to use that one on me at home. You're a little cranky. You're a little low. I guess you could say that that God's love is like a spiritual dipstick to the amount of Holy Spirit that you've allowed to fill your heart. The more full we are, the more we love God and Jesus. The more full of the Spirit we are, the more we love the church. The more full of the Spirit we are, the more we love His Word. The more full of the Spirit we are, the more we love to reach the lost and care about missions. So how's your love quotient this morning? Are you full? If you, if you pulled the dipstick on your heart, would you be on the full mark or would you be a quart low? Or worse yet, would you be two quarts low? Or would you even register on the dipstick? Have you ever pulled the dipstick out of your car and it don't even register? I've done that before. Like, oh no, oh no, I've let this go too long. It's been 28,000 miles since I changed the oil. No, I've never gone that far. some of the newer cars you can go a lot longer my dad religiously changed oil every 2,000 miles now they say that's wasting your oil and your money so I go every 5,000 but there's been a few times when I've had a car that used a lot of oil and it didn't even register I'm thinking oh lord you pour two and a half quarts in there and finally you know you get up on the dipstick so how's your love quotient this morning The more of the spirit we have, the more we love, the more that abounding love is in our hearts. Finally, the fourth characteristic of the confident follower of Christ is a forceful and unflinching determination. A forceful and unflinching determination. In other words, you're not going to be rocked off center. You're going to be holy, full, all in. For Christ, a forceful, unflinching determination to be all you can be, to give all you can give, to serve all you can serve, knowing you will one day stand before Christ and give an account of your life. The Bible says we're going to one day, you know, our sins were judged at the cross. When you come to Christ, you're, you're not, if you're a believer and you go to heaven, you're not going to be judged according to your sin. Jesus took care of that. And, and when you accepted Christ, that was washed away. But you are going to be judged. You're going to be judged on your works. And we're going to give an account of our life, of our works, and what we did for Christ. This speaks of pursuit. You know, we pursue a lot of things in life. We We pursue activities. We pursue wealth, making money. Nothing wrong with any of these. We pursue free time. We like to have some rest and relaxation. We don't want to, you know, work all the time, so we like having some free time. We pursue our children's activities and sports and so on, and nothing wrong with that. But let me ask you a question. What must we pursue the most? Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. 
if you put God first. Esther and Mordecai both demonstrate this, and I'm going to read a rather long passage, the end of Esther chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. This kind of wraps up the entire story of Esther. I encourage you to go home maybe this afternoon or this week and read the book of Esther. It's only, it's only 10 chapters. It's not that long, short chapters. But it's an inspiring story of how God worked in the lives of these people and how God spared Israel from complete, completely being destroyed. Um, and so we see how Esther and Mordecai were all in as we listen to this as we read these verses. Uh, Esther 9.20. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes calling on them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and by giving of gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. So the Jews accepted Mordecai's proposal and adopted this annual custom. Haman, son of Hamadatha, the the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted to crush and destroy them on the date determined by casting lots. The lots were called Purim. But when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire, and Haman and his sons were impaled on a sharpened pole. That is why this celebration is called Purim, because it's is the ancient word for casting lots. So because of Mordecai's letter and because of what they had experienced, the Jews throughout the realm agreed to inaugurate this tradition and pass it on to their descendants and to all who became Jews. They declared they would never fail to celebrate these two prescribed days at the appointed times each year. These days would be remembered and kept from generation to generation and celebrated by every family throughout the provinces and cities of the empire. This festival of Purim would never cease to be celebrated among the Jews, nor would the memory of what happened ever die out among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote another letter putting the queen's full authority behind Mordecai's letter to establish the festival of Purim. Letters wishing peace and security were sent to the Jews throughout the 127 provinces of the empire of Xerxes. These letters established the festival of Purim, an annual celebration of these days at the appointed time decreed both by Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther. The people decided to observe this festival just as they had decided for themselves and their descendants to establish the times of fasting and mourning. So the command of Esther confirmed the practices of Purim, and it was all written down in their records. King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai, the Jew, became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good. Listen to this. He continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. Now this, this account is still happens 
this, this uh, not a count, this, this festival still happens every spring. It's usually around February, March. I think I read that in 2020, it's like March 20th and 21st to this day. Queen Esther and cousin Mordecai did all they could for the sake of the call, the call of God on their lives. And what was the result? The result was Israel was spared annihilation and a festival that is still celebrated every spring was inaugurated. Church, be all you can be for the sake of the call. One of my favorite songs in recent years has been a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman called For the Sake of the Call. I want you to listen to it. Musicians, would you come? Praise team. So in conclusion, the four characteristics of the confident follower of Christ is a deep, abiding trust in God, an ever-increasing faith to take you over the hurdles and through the valleys, an all-abounding love for God, his word, his church, and his mission. And finally, a forceful and unflinching determination to be all you can be, give all you can give, serve all you can serve for such a time as this. God needs you and I in this generation, just like he needed Mordecai and Esther in their generation. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your call. We thank you, Lord, for saving us and if there's one here today who's not saved who doesn't know that they've been forgiven who doesn't know that their name is in the Lamb's Book of Life I pray that Holy Spirit you speak to their heart right now for that can be changed in this service before they leave here today Lord for those of us who have come to you and are serving you I pray, Lord, that you would just reinforce the truths of this message this morning, that we might be available and usable for you in your mission on this earth, in your mission to see people's lives changed. Lord, that's our call, is to go into the world, all the world, and preach the gospel make disciples, to be light, to be salt, to be your hands extended, to be your voice, to be all we can be for you. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The praise team is going to come and sing one of my favorite songs, Build My Life. And as they're singing, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down front here. If you need prayer, we'd like you to come. Let us pray for you. If you just want to pray around these altars and have nobody specifically pray for you, this is the altar call time. This is the time we can bow our knees before the Lord and we can open our hearts to God and say, God, help me to be all I can be for you today. Thank you, Jesus.